Hip Hip Cheerio. It is me, Evan. I'm back from London. I'm jet lagged, and I, uh, I'm telling you that what you're about to hear is uh, a very special piece of raw, rustic, guerrilla podcasting. Uh, this is a conversation with Josh Tillman, aka Father John Misty, about an hour before showtime at the Barbican, where he would be performing the songs of Scott Walker with the BBC Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Jules Buckley. The show was just a complete and utter thrill to a Scott Walker fan such as myself, and a total pleasure to talk about one of the great artists with a great artist and somebody who cares as much about this stuff as anybody else afflicted with Jokerman mindset. So thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh's manager, Noah. Um, thanks, Wallace and Gromit, uh, Charles Dickens, um, the Queen, and uh, Mick Jagger and the British Bad Boys, the Rolling Stones. He um, was a huge cinephile. Yeah, apparently. I mean, all that early, all the 60s stuff is all mirroring the themes of, like, Truffaut. I mean, literally, Antonio. the Seventh Seal. It's the yeah, seventh yeah, that seal. one is the most blatant, um, which is also probably, like, my least... I know four is supposed to be the uh, the master. You're not the four guy? Yeah, four guy? I mean, I love... There are moments, on, obviously moments on it that, I, that are among my favorites of his. But I think... I think one, two, and three work better, hang together better, even with the covers. The Brell covers. The... Do you ever have that, listen to the full, no. the Brell album? It took me a while. For some reason, I had a blind spot. But in the last few years, um, yeah, I got fully pilled. Him and Bowie, both Brell yeah. guys. Yeah. Yeah, because Bowie did um, My Death, like a bunch of... Yeah. What really, what really brought me into the whole Brell thing with as it pertains to Scott is the, is Jackie where he's doing this oh, it's really absurd. ironic interpretation of the song where he is the fantasy that the old, you know, like in his, in, you know, he is the young pop star with the, you know, harem of women, you know, at his, you know, at his beck and call. Um, and there's something really, yeah, there's something really moving about is be in his he's trapped in this pop star body and and he is you know this like uh cursed old man and old pink elephants i'd see though i'd be drunk as i could be still i would sing my song to me about the time they called me shaggy if i could be for only an hour if i could be for an hour every day if i could be for just one little hour a cute cute in a stupid ass way. I mean, you were like a poster who was making fine art, and I think you pulled it off. But like, that's not your game anymore. Yeah, I'm trying to like whittle what I do down to its fewest moving parts. I mean, that record is the most conceptual thing I've done. It's just not in the lyrics. It's in the presentation, it's in the choices. Um, but all those songs, like, they, I would like to think that they work on their own, just if it came on the radio and you heard it. But they all relate to that last song. 
they're all supposed to be a hallucination from the mind of that last song. Over COVID, I was just thinking a lot about like what our song's best at. And I kind of came to this like base conclusion that it's an art form that evolved mimetically to get the phrase, I love you, into the world over and over and over again. And that it was an art form that kind of reached its apex during the most violent century of human civilization. So you have all these love songs that have been underwritten by incredible violence. Um, and in that way, music is the most beautiful and evil thing. <laughs> Thinking about the inherent evil of love songs and how in late-stage capitalism, anything can be made evil, including love. And um, so you have these like cute love songs. And then at the end, I, I mean, I just wanted to create the most kind of ugly depiction of, of love possible. You know, like that last song opens with this scene of like the, the bride is, is, uh, comes from a Nazi family. And he says, the, no the Nazis that we hired for our wedding band played your anthem like I wasn't there for the father-daughter dance. But then he says, tell me your history of oppression while you're under me. Yeah, so like great line. within the dynamic of the relationship, he's the oppressor. The point being that it's, that the whole record is, I, I guess, high concept, but not in the lyrics, in the way that a Scott Walker song, I mean, you can go line by line on a Scott Walker song and, and, and I mean, there's more, there's more footnotes than text. But then there's something like Farmer in the City, which is itself a, it's like the supreme love song in yeah. a way. And it's also dealing with the political element of fascism. I mean, it's Pasolini, yeah. apparently. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the doomed, the myth of the doomed romance uh, has gone a long way to keep fascism and its like sensual idealist sense alive in, in, in Europe. And I mean, that's what that whole, uh, that's what the Clara song, you know, I mean, why he's so fascinating is he's so like anti-fascist, you know, like the old man's back again. And, but even in that song, he's identifying with the soldier. He's empathizing with the soldier who's come into town and, and is like, why does everybody hate me? <laughs> so he's like, and then, and then in, in Clara, he's, he's talking from the, from the perspective of Mussolini's girlfriend and idealizing their, their love. Well, the love is the thing that is, yeah, that is untouchable, but it's the context of the love that is e like irreparably yeah. evil. Right. And that seems to be his biggest focus on that, you know, loose trilogy. I've listened to all those records. Like, Farmer in the City is, is one that I come back to all the time, but the, I, f I feel like those, it's not my time for those records yet. And I've always sure. been like, <laughs> I've always... I mean, even with all the guys that, whose music I love, there are still records in everybody's catalog. It's not time for me and that record yet. Have you ever listened to the Dylan Standards records, like oh, Triplicate and yes, stuff? Yes, yes. I'm a fool to want you. I'm a fool to want you. Something Those are that, huge. You know, th that comes influence. to mind when I'm watching yeah. you go up there because it's like in that interview he did with AARP around that time, he was like, 
oh, I'm nothing like I'm no, I'm nowhere near Sinatra. Like you must be joking. Right, right, right. But like, it's about doing the songs in a way where you feel it, and that will that's the yeah. gamble that that'll come through. Yeah, I mean, his phrasing is it's all about phrasing, like pitch, breath control, all that kind of stuff is. It's, it's great if you have it, but if you don't have phrasing, you're, you're fucked. And, and that's when, with these songs, that, that is like, I, th I think the main thing I'm, I'm bringing to the performance is, is like, because I mean, I, I watched some of the, you know, they, they've, they've done this before and everybody did a great job. But one thing that I, that I noticed was everybody was just, steamrolling through the songs where Scott leaves just like I mean like on its rating today you have to count it out and he's cramming I mean very Dylan very like late uh, Bob you know you like cramming on, the lyrics yeah, in yeah, like, yeah. Um, what it like It'll just be like hour or whatever, where he just puts all the words at the I end. I just of watched the one the other night, where it's just like a 2000 performance of uh, Visions of Joanna, and it just starts with. It's just one. It's, in the so, of two it's frustrating because he's one of the best phrasers out there. So to hear him just, I mean, those are all. I think essential to the construction of the song, like to the to the composition. I, I don't understand that part of his thinking. I've gotten really into that aspect of it because I think that it has something to do with the way that he's able to do them without it feeling like it's wrote to him. Right. It's, it's interesting right. to like mess around with the time and space yeah. in the songs. Yeah, but. That's not something I don't. I don't think if Scott had kept performing and stuff, I I, I don't think because he's such an old school professional. You know, he's got this like professional yeah. musician thing that 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 grounds everything that he does. I think he would probably stick stick with the with the tune. Yeah, that's why he never performed them. Apparently, it was just that he didn't believe it could even be done live. Right. That's what's crazy about this thing. Like nobody's ever, no, nobody's no. ever performed. Never, nobody's ever staged the electrician. No, I was amazed. I you couldn't know? believe that you <laughs> did that in Farmer in the City. I was just like, oh my god. Yeah, I can't believe how many songs he let me pick. I know Jules wants to go on tour with this thing. Is it getting recorded? Yes, yeah. tonight. Yeah. Is it going to be released? They're going to try to make a record out of it, um, which. Know totally how how I feel about it because I mean my my ideal was that this was like the BBC Symphony Orchestra with Jules Buckley and that Josh Tillman would be the like featured vocalist right and before you know it it turns into Father John Misty sings Scott yeah, Walker yeah, yeah as Scott <laughs> is <laughs> Father John Misty is Scott is Walker. Walker this is a full um, biopic you come out with like a blonde yeah. bob. So yeah, as long as I can like maintain some control over the way that it's presented and, and stuff. I think it's tasteful. Yeah. So far, everything yeah. has been uh, it's a, it's not hammed up. I think it's very it's respectful to the material, including the choice of material, because like it 
it wouldn't it just I don't know that once you get past a certain year of Scott it's a yeah. I think he was right there isn't a way to do it live yeah but no farmer in the city works yeah I I think when I just did that one I was actually singing it like myself it took a while to iron out the mannerisms that that I you know I, I mean I've basically been at home like doing a Scott Walker impression as I sing this stuff and but once you get into the room like you, you can't you can't do that no I didn't catch it there was maybe it, like, one second when I heard you do like a Scott scoop like a right. what? yeah there, there's a few of those that I think are critical but you know like on such a small love I have to be careful not to go like in my one suit with my one suit to say like in my one suit yeah i know it's, it's distinctly you singing them as you as you would which is yeah. you know that is i think what makes it work for me like in the audience it's just like so i'm so used to hearing you sing your own material yeah. so yeah it, yeah his songs, it, I was thinking about it while I was up there, like, they're so singular. They're not universal. They are not songs. That, they're not really... I mean, there are, there, there are ways to make it your own, sort of, but the whole... It's all just so singular to him. Like, yeah. the songs really don't scream to be covered. I mean, maybe... Maybe Duchess, which I is the only Adam song. Green I've gotten like 800 requests for Duchess. Okay. It must be on some kind of like indie backyard barbecue yes, playlist. I think so. But that one just, it works perfectly. Like certain of them feel kind of close to something on the last record. It's your bicycle bell. And your Rembrandt swells Your children alive And still breathing It's your look of loss When you're coming across Makes me feel like a thief When you're bleeding Duchess, Duchess Light up your candles for me Duchess, Duchess Put all your love back in me I come listening I touch, touching This episode of Jokerman Podcast is presented by DistroKid. Over a million artists rely on DistroKid to distribute their music and get it into all of the places it needs to go. Your Spotify's, your Apple Music's, your YouTube's, your TikTok's, your Tidal's, your Instagram's, and any other streaming service of note. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy. With unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100%, that's right, 100, all of them, folks, of their royalties and earnings. DistroKid comes with tons of great features, including Mixia, 
which allows DistroKid users to put the finishing touches on their tracks in just minutes, getting a customizable and polished end result that anyone can feel confident in before sharing it with the world. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. So go to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store to download it today. Yeah. your comfort level with it just it's in that register and then i don't know what do you, what was it like for you just doing ones that are more abstract lyrically because nothing you do is that out there like no. boy child or like no uh you did sleepwalkers women which i yeah was that one's a bold choice i'm just hanging on for dear life climate hunter on he arrives from a place with the face of fast sun Rise from a place his refuge overrun. She will fold him away in his badly changed hand. Fold him away far behind where I am. There's not a single lyric that I think I understand on that. No, and the, and the words, they don't relate to one another in any kind of intuitive way. So you have to, I mean, on some of them, I had to like really research what they were about mm -hmm. so that I could understand just so that I had some kind of theme to hang on to, to string the words together. But a lot of them just, I mean, dragons of disgust and, and whatever, they're just words that have never been combined ever. So you just, you don't have any innate, ambient sense of like where the lyric is going, um, which makes them really difficult to, um, to learn. But Boy Child in, in particular, I mean, I don't, I think it's about, I mean, I, I think it's about St. Christopher. It's sort of about Cupid because like Cupid is blind and there's that line about to give a boy child back his sight. But, but that song, what I, where I find the emotional resonance is, is sort of like in the, that last Jodorowsky movie where he's like hugging his child self. It's called Dance of Reality. I think for, for you know, it's like there's, there's a, like an inner child, like an, uh, Eterna Puris, like the, the eternal child yeah. that's, that's in each of us, um, that we're protecting. I mean, what, we think we're protecting them, they're really protecting us. And like, mm. I, I found some, some emotional, like something to, to grab onto on that one. Well, was the most a lot of talk about thighs, thighs in the Scott yes. Walker oeuvre. Yes. Quick, give us your lips. Give us your thighs. Thighs are full of tales to tell. Told to thigh. Things between the thighs. There's a one in, on Fishbosh that's like. A waiting command, it's huge snouts wedged between my thighs. Dink. Dink-a-dink, a dink-a-do. 
insane. <laughs> yeah. I do wonder if learning so much, if getting so deep into it is going to af affect me in some, some way. You I mean, mean creatively moving yeah, forward? Yeah, I mean, next 20th century was very much, it's, you know, that, that guitar solo in the middle. Oh, yeah. It's like very inspired by, because the, the, whole, the whole record was filled with these just kind of boilerplate musical signifiers. You know, you go like, oh, he's doing that thing. Oh, now he's doing that thing. Now he's doing that thing. You know, mm -hmm. like they're, they're kind of genre exercises in a way. But for that moment, I wanted something that didn't have, you know, like I, I took the guitar and put it into some open tuning that the guitarist didn't, didn't know what the notes were going to be and had him play it that way so that, so that he couldn't fall back on any of his, you know, bag of tricks. And uh, just as a way to sandblast everything that you had just heard. <laughs> so strong about the record is that like once you've finished it then the whole record is recontextualized yeah, and then you exactly. have this thing about listening back to it i think that there's like this sort of next wave of what can be done with rock music which i i think that you and i also see it with with lana del rey it's like we've had this long period of rock music and then rock music that's referential referential yeah. and reverential of itself yeah. but now i think that we've reached that point where where do you you can now be referencing that self-awareness and there's like right. another level yeah. of it yeah. and i don't see that many people except i think that record yours and a lot of stuff she does seems to like take that and run with it as like the starting point yeah. How did you start working with her on anything? She, um, she came to a show of mine in 2012, and we just became friends from there. Um, yeah. I, did a, I did a tour with her in like 2013, and uh, we're, we're going to play together at Hyde Park oh, this wow. summer. But yeah, I'm very uh, flattered to be before she had her total critical reassessment a few years ago, like we would get mentioned together, you know, we, we were in, we'd been put in the corner. We'd been put in like the bad, the bad kid. Yeah. We had been put in timeout by, <laughs> by critics. No, you have a similar trajectory in a weird way, but I, I don't really think both of you uh, are in like a special sort of class now because of that commitment to following through on, on ideas that I was, you know, when I saw you at Hollywood forever, I was just like really moved by it. Cause I was thinking about like, well, this is all these people are here for, for lyrics really. Yeah. And like, that's my whole bit with like with the show with Jokerman. It's like really the importance of making sure this can still be considered a literary form. And right. like, right. I think a lot of other people, it's like it's a very young art form that already yeah. people are just deciding it's right. not that. Right. You guys are doing, uh, a, like, I'm really impressed just with the level of analysis and, 
and beyond that, like the emotional insights and stuff, like the John, the John Cale study. You know, I, I messaged you around around that time. Oh, yeah, about I was just um, like, oh God, I feel so. I feel so seen. We were, you were talking about uh, Mark Fisher. Harris we, we, 19. Yeah, yeah, yeah Mark we've Fisher. We've mentioned that. Yeah. And, you know, the, that final track, I hadn't even thought about this, and I don't think I... Maybe we got into it on the episode, but the last track, you know, being Antarctica starts here, which is, like, about Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard watching yeah. herself, and I was thinking about how that actually relates a lot to the final track on, yeah. on Chloe. That's, like... The, this thing of watching a repeat and yeah. Antarctica starts here. It's like the, this is where it all yeah. just, it's going to be frozen right. forever. Right, right. frozen or in uh, the next 20th century, I think it's like I get the sense it's more like this kind of Jenga tower like in, just forever. Yeah, in that final sentiment you know, because the whole thing's about ambivalence with conservatism you know, where everybody wants to erase the past up until the last eight months or or, or 18 months when, when we like, quote unquote started to get it all right and with Joe Mentum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you mean? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's like thing, old things have, the reason they're still here is because they've adapted, they've evolved to last. Things that have adapted and survived and, and lasted, um, those forms are durable and they're going to continue to exist. Even, even with how you know, like I was saying, that a lot of them have been underwritten by by violence, um, but they're they're like the best they have. So like, I'll keep, I'll take the love songs. You can have the future, but I'm drawing a line here, and it's like I'm saying, it, it's an ambivalent statement. It's not purely anti-progress, but no, I don't think of it I'm as human, that at all. You know, I think of it as like pro-eternal. It's not. Exactly, it's yeah, not yeah, anti-progress. Yeah, yeah. It's right. like it's just what is the foundation, and I think that the record actually kind of articulates that. It's having a conversation with that as like interrogating what is it about these things that needs to continue yeah. and yeah. listeners I think are like like the triplicate thing and all that Dylan stuff yeah. that's him I thought being really bold and just doing it yeah. knowing that's important because yeah. he doesn't need to he spent his whole career already doing the like Talmudic back and forth with himself right so then you just have him do, delivering the thing but now I think that it's really interesting to see certain artists do it, continue that conversation of like, yeah. what is this? Yeah. I mean, in my, in my case, it is, it is supposed to be sort of a nightmare, sort of a Disneyfied nightmare uh, of the past. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited that you picked up on after you listen to that last song, when you go back, oh, yeah. it's supposed to take on like an, like a sort of queasy unreality 
And it was fun on tour to play. We would, we would open with that next 20th century song and then occasionally go like right into Chloe and it just sounds de demented. Yes. Like, <laughs> <right after laughs> it's freakish. Where did that come from, that song? That song? I think it's kind of like a, like a bit of a, a dime square character study. We, we were yeah. <laughs> that we were listening to um, New York, the uh, Lou Reed record, yeah, yeah. And on that episode. Um, I think that that phrase came up because there's a song called "Dime Store Mystery," <laughs> oh. and and Ian kept saying, like, "I keep thinking di it's Dime Square Mystery." <laughs> so I guess you actually did write "Dime Square Mystery." Yeah, yeah. I wish I hadn't thrown away my time. I'm so much human and so much less divine The end of last temptation The end of a dime store mystery fascinating watching the ideological drift from uh, socialism to uh, whatever the racism yeah I guess that's <laughs> it they're just looking for the bottom you know and and finding it again and again, and finding it again. <laughs> I do see that just the seduction I think with like the the narrator of that song is just it, you know it's like he's just being seduced by a bad girl yeah, and, and thinking about conservative the 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 appeal and seduction of conservatism as a like parallel. I forget who said it originally, but it's like the only interesting critique of fascism is by someone who's been tempted by it. Right, and you definitely get that. I mean, with in Clara and like those those songs in Old yeah. Man's Back Again, there's like this thing of being within that and yeah. kind of having that power be well uncertainty is a prerequisite for fascist thinking hmm. so if you don't have any if there's no if there's no permeability to your thinking you're probably more susceptible to fascist yeah. thinking than, than you'd like to admit whenever you can encounter someone who's certain it's kind of like yeah. oh, you're like it could be evil huh oh definitely <laughs> The young man's back again The young man's back again I see he's back again
This is Jokerman.